Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Ryan, summer is uh, is pressing on, isn't it? Yeah, you staying cool? It's been pretty hot. It's been pretty hot. Yeah, I went to Wisconsin last week. and. That's nice. um, yeah, it was like 75 there. It was Ooh, beautiful. I, that, needed, I needed that. <laughs> yeah, I'm dying out there. It has it's, been one hot summer. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, but uh, it was it was good watching the uh, Open Championship last week. Brian Harmon, local, kind of a local guy. He's Georgia. He went to the University of Georgia. Yep. and uh, Dominated. I think he lives in Savannah. Yeah, he did dominate. You know, he's like a short guy. He's like 5'7". But you know, has decent distance, and but he putted. His putty was on fire. Yeah, unbelievable. He was like forty-five out of forty-five from inside ten feet, which I can't. That's con- insane. Can't conceive of that. So wow, that was my sports tidbit for the. For the yeah, week. football starting. You got camp starting up in the NFL, and college obviously will start sooner. So we're starting to move into that time of the year, which will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. A lot going on, and um, yeah, it's been a good summer. It's been a hot one, but. Uh, and speaking of which, we have a great show lined up for you today. We're going to start off with talking about protecting your assets from lawsuits. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, this is a common concern that people have, and there are some ways to protect yourself. Um, and so I get this question quite a bit. And so, yeah, we're going to dig into this and, and some really good tips here for how to protect yourself, good practical ways to do that. Yeah. And the second thing we're going to talk about is just, scams types of scams how to avoid them also what to do if you, if you are scammed it's just very common in today's culture that people get scammed and so you just want to be on the lookout yeah absolutely that's a really important topic um by the way i'm steve marbert i'm a certified financial planner and a dave ramsey smart investor pro with over 28 years experience in financial planning and investment advice and i'm ryan borders i'm also a certified financial planner and a dave ramsey smart investor pro and we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday morning. Um, you can check us out on our website, uh, moneymd.net, or you can uh, also pick us up on iTunes. Um, listen to us anywhere in the world. And we have a lot of information on our website. So do check that out, moneymd.net, um, where you can link to us there. You can send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll answer those right here on the show. Well, Ryan, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this one's interesting, Steve. So, you know, U.S. states have one thing in common these days, and that's rock bottom unemployment. So the jobless rate uh, is in in half of the 50 states was at or hovering near record lows in June, showing resilience of the labor market even after 16 months of interest rate hikes. So that's pretty interesting stuff. So this is according to Bloomberg. Right. Uh, with an unemployment rate of 1.8%, South Dakota and New Hampshire were tied for the lowest in the country. So the unemployment rate's looking wow. pretty good, even with all the interest rate hikes. I uh, just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's still below 4%. Um, that's, that's pretty amazing, given you know the weakness in the economy and all the interest rate hikes, like you said. Um, just shows you how resilient the economy is here in the U.S. And um, yeah, I mean, it gives me a lot of hope that, you know, that we're going to skirt the recession and, yeah, um, you know, maybe things go go right back to where there were. Um, Hopefully have that growth. soft landing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's looking more and more like that. We're hearing more and more economists and 
analysts um, say, you know, they don't think there's going to be a recession at all, really. Um, it's amazing how opinions just change every quarter. Right? Yeah. What the prediction, I've even heard recession in, late next year, and it's just like, okay. Right. I don't know. We got the Fed, <laughs> Fed kind of doing their last interest rate hike this week. Yeah. Um, you know, we expect that to happen today, is it here on Wednesday when, when we're recording. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You yeah, know, if the economy gets back to growing after this, and we really, but you're right, it changes very quickly. It just shows you can't predict it. Well, I'll predict one thing today, and I can say this with confidence. All right. There will be a recession one day in the future. One day there'll be a recession, and there'll be another correction, and yeah. there'll be another bear market. We just don't know when those are going to happen. So yeah. meanwhile, stay invested, stay diversified. That's our early prescription of the day. <laughs> There you go. All right, that leads up to our first topic here, and that is protecting your assets from lawsuits. And Ryan, this comes out of an article from very recently from uh, Bottom Line Inc. Um, and uh, you know, we've all heard or read about the horror stories where people lost a lot of their life savings to a lawsuit or some frivolous claim against them. And of course, we know that you know if you or your family members are involved in like a car accident and it's deemed to be your fault, you could be at risk for some huge claim. Um, in fact, I did once have a client who was sued and found liable for $1.3 million. Oh, wow. Yeah, after an accident on our property. Um, so, you know, this is where asset protection comes in. You know, asset protection is the process of legally protecting your assets like retirement accounts, savings, businesses, real estate, stocks, other resources, and protecting those from creditors um, or lawsuits. I mean, furthermore, a lawsuit can siphon money and legal fees, can gobble up your time, your energy, can cause stress, a lot of damage to, to your reputation. So avoiding these issues is certainly worth the effort. I've seen clients that went through a lawsuit, um, usually it was business-related, but the, the emotional toll it put it puts you under is yeah. tremendous. So mm. you want to avoid that at all costs. So, so anyway, but we're going to start this discussion by looking at retirement accounts because that is the biggest asset, most common asset that people have that's at risk. Um, and so there's a widely held belief that creditors and lawsuits can't touch retirement accounts. And and while that is mostly true, it's not always true. So the reality is. You know, whether retirement accounts are safe or not depends on the range of factors, including the type of account, type of creditor, the state of residence, and whether bankruptcy is involved. Yeah, so what is typically protected? Well, assets in a rollover IRA, 401ks, and other qualified ERISA um, plans, uh, employer plans, are usually completely protected from most creditors. But there are exceptions to this. So the IRS... <laughs> they can reach these assets if there's a tax lien, and a spouse could certainly get a share um, of them in a divorce as a spouse is considered a potential co-owner of the assets, not a creditor. Yeah, that's right. Those are important to keep in mind. So so what might not be protected? Well, assets and IRAs that were not created by rollovers from a plan um, it often depends on the state law, but if it's a contributory IRA, then then it, it will not be completely protected in most states. Um, most states do provide unlimited protection for IRAs that were funded from, your, from, from a rollover, but not from your own contributions. Hmm. 
Um, so, and it certainly won't protect you from IRS tax lien or divorce settlements. So in certain states, they do place limits on this protection. And a few, most notably Maine and Nebraska, provide very little protection for IRAs um, that were not rollover IRAs from a retirement plan. The Bankruptcy Abuse and Consumer Protection Act of, of 2005 ensures that most retirement assets are safe from creditors, even if bankruptcy is declared, and its protection is unlimited for ERISA-type plans. And that's a plan that um, where you roll it over from, a, from an employer plan um, into an IRA. <clears throat> so that's completely protected, <clears throat> and the current limit is, is $1,512,000, um, and that figure goes up with inflation every year. So that limit, again, doesn't apply to IRAs that were funded solely through um, rollovers from that, well, plans that were commingled. Um, it does apply to rollover plans, but plans that were commingled with contributions. Yeah, that was that was good timing for 08, the 05, the act in 05, because yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of bankruptcies in 08, obviously. Yeah, so absolutely. Good, good timing yep. there, unfortunately. Um, well, however, you know, inherited IRAs are not protected by federal bankruptcy rules. So some states, including Alaska, Arizona, Florida, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio, and Texas, have laws that protect inherited IRAs in bankruptcy and or other situations, but many other states provide limited or no protection. Also, if a creditor manages to reach inherited retirement assets and the assets taken by the creditor are from tax-deferred accounts, such as a beneficiary IRA, the account owner likely will have to pay income taxes on the money the creditor receives. Ouch. So even worse, if the account holder hasn't reached age 59 and a half, he may also face early withdrawal penalties. So not, not great there. No, definitely no. not. So there's really not much protection for inherited IRAs. Once you inherit one from your parents or somebody like that, it's not your IRA, then, <clears throat> then it falls in a different category. Um, but to protect retirement assets, you know, what do you need to do? Well, you need to buy an umbrella insurance policy um, for some additional coverage against lawsuits. And we're going to discuss that a lot further, uh, more detail here in a second. Um, but also, though, if you roll over a 401k into an IRA, avoid commingling that with contri contributions to IRAs. Um, don't add money that where you, where you contributed to an IRA. Um, outside of your retirement plan, <clears throat> keep those separate. So, but if you're worried about your, that your heirs, <clears throat> creditors, or estranged spouse might target your retirement savings after um, after your heirs inherit them, you know you can ask your estate planning attorney whether it makes sense to set up an accumulation trust. So that's a type of trust where it can serve as the beneficiary of your IRA um, with your heirs as the beneficiary of the trust. And that way, the trustee can keep the assets safe in the, in, the, uh, in the trust from creditors or divorce if that poses a risk. Um, you know, and if that's a significant risk in your family and you don't, you don't want to rely on state laws to protect your heirs' inherited IRAs from creditors, um, then, you know, this type of trust might be a good move for you. Um, but if you have significant assets outside of retirement plans, um, there are other strategies which can help you protect those non-qualified assets. Really, the key, though, with asset protection, 
planning is to do it well in advance of a lawsuit. You can't do this after the fact. Um, so what are some of the additional strategies that are available? Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, umbrella policy. So liability insurance policies are the easiest way to protect protect any kind of assets. An umbrella policy supplements liability coverage you already have through a homeowner's policy. Think umbrella over that. Obviously, that's the name. An auto policy is also another you know type of liability we have. Um, and another, um, it's relatively inexpensive, and you can get coverage of one million to two million and up. So you can get a lot of coverage with an umbrella policy. For example, let's say you're you you are you hit the one million uh, court judgment. You're hit with that as a result of an auto accident. Your auto policy contains liability limits that cap uh, a settlement payment. So for example, you might have a cap of 300,000 for injuries and another 100,000 for property damage. If those limits are maxed out, that's when the umbrella policy actually kicks in for that other 600,000. Um, so really good policy. Yeah, that's certainly the, the number one thing you'd wanna look at <clears throat> to protect yourself from lawsuits. Um, there's also something called Domestic Asset Protection Trust Attorneys often call the this trust the most affordable asset protection tool available in the U.S. Um, this type of trust is aimed at protecting your assets from creditors. Um, it allows you to protect your accumulated wealth from future creditors by locking them up into a separate trust entity, which pays out income and assets slowly for a specific period of time. <clears throat> you know, to your heirs after you die. Of course, creating and funding. Uh, and maintaining a trust takes some effort and expense, so it's not for everyone. You know, if you don't don't expect a significant risk of creditors in your future, you may not need this type of trust. There are 17 states that allow these trusts, which are set up as irrevocable trusts. In most states, an irrevocable trust can't be revoked or changed once it's created, so it's it's pretty restraining. Um, and assets in a domestic asset protection trust may include things like cash, stocks, company, LOC assets, business property, um, real estate. But keep in mind that, you know, the trust may be forced to pay obligations like child support, alimony, and taxes. You're not protecting it from those types of obligations. Yeah, the next is limited liability companies. You hear LLCs. So um, that is this is designed to contain the assets of a business. So this legal structure can protect your personal assets from being seized by business creditors because it creates a separate entity for your business. In other words, your home, car, or bank account typically would be safe from business creditors, while your business assets in an LLC normally would not be safe. So it separates the two, your personal life and your business life. Yeah, it's a practical way of separating your assets so you don't have liability in one part of your life that spills over into your personal life Yeah, and, and creates that, that additional liability. Um, another one, though, is, is life insurance policies. You know, many life insurance policies are exempt from seizure from, by creditors um, who've obtained a court judgment against you. You know, whether the cash value and death proceeds are entirely are partially protected, varies by state laws. You know, an annuity or any type of insurance contract enjoys similar protections. However, most states do limit the cash value that is protected. Um, some of them are as low as $5,000. You really got to check into your state and see how much is protected. 
um, inside of an insurance or annuity policy. But there is some protection there. And then there's prenuptial agreements. Um, you know, domestic disputes are the most common risk to personal assets. And these often arise from a divorce. Um, you know, therefore, having a prenuptial agreement signed before marriage can certainly protect current and future assets owned by a spouse rather than being jointly owned by the couple, you know, when they're going through a divorce. Um, so, you know, these arrangements are most common, of course, with second marriages after the spouses have accumulated significant assets and perhaps already have children. Um, but that's something to keep in mind if you're if you're going through, you know, a second marriage. And then the homestead exemptions. Um, you know, in most states, a homestead exemption protects at least some value of your primary residence from most creditors. Certain states allow an unlimited exemption, while other ones do cap the amount to uh, to a, a, a certain amount. Like Massachusetts, for example, limits the exception the exemption to three hundred thousand dollars. So. You know, your home is often protected from creditors through the homestead exemption. All right, two questions for you. Um, first is, do you think most people should have umbrella policies, or do you have an opinion on that? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, it depends on your assets. Um, you know, I don't think everybody ought to have one because, you know, they're not they're not free. They're not expensive, but they're not free. They might be, you know, what, $500 a year, something yeah. like that. That's what I'm thinking for a million-dollar policy. Um so it, but, you know, I think, um, if you have significant assets outside of your retirement plan, then I would say yes. Okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you've accumulated a lot of after-tax money in joint accounts, um, you know, you have a real expensive home or, you know, a second home or something like that property, then yeah, I think an umbrella policy makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, even if you're, and if you're a high income earner, I would assume too, just... Yeah, I mean, again, it, it really gets down to assets, though. Yeah. Um, that's what they would be going after, not your income. So, um, but, you know, if it's all in your retirement plan, a company retirement plan, and in your home, and that's all you have, I would say no, because okay. those assets are already protected. What about limited liability companies? So if you're a business owner, do you think most people should be LLCs? Absolutely, yeah. If you have a business, um, even if you're just re doing rental real estate, I would definitely put that inside of an LLC. It's a cheap way to segregate your assets, to, to protect your personal assets from liability from business ventures. Okay. So, yeah, yeah those are good questions, Ryan. Excellent. All right. And that leads us <laughs> up here to our, to our uh, question of the week. Yeah, this is an interesting one that was submitted. Should I choose a survivor pension or a single life pension? Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I've actually had this question twice this week. Oh, so wow. this is a super common question that we get. Um, and it really depends on your individual situation. Um, you know, a survivor pension um, is something that's important. Um, if your your spouse does not have enough income, if something happens to you and you predecease your spouse, um, so it's an easy way to get insurance, basically, to protect your the income for your survivors. Um, and, and so I think everybody will look at that and, you know, most people take a 50% survivor benefit. That's hmm. the most common survivor benefit for pensions. And I think that's a great default to go to. Um, but you really need to look at your overall plan and see, okay, if something happens to you, you know, what would your spouse have to live off of? Is it enough 
Um, even if it is enough and you don't really need the survivor benefit, um, you still may want to get it because it also depends on your life expectancy. You yeah. know, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a lot older than your spouse, it'd be a shame if you worked all those years and you're, you know, you died five years into retirement and nobody really got to enjoy that yeah. pension, you know, so it would bother me if my social sure. security didn't have any survivor benefit. Um, so uh, <clears throat> I don't have a pension, a significant pension, but I have social security. So it's kind of the same thing. So I think you need to look at your longevity, look at your health, look at what, how long you expect to live. But in addition to that, look at what your spouse needs. Um, you know, as a default, yeah, 50% would be a good number. Might be worth 100% if, yeah. if again, you, your spouse needs it. You know, hmm. you're gone. So that classic life expectancy question, just so hard, but right. It is a very difficult question to answer, yeah. but uh, it's, and I wouldn't think of it. A lot of people think of this as money that's kind of thrown away. They're like, oh, well, I'm taking this reduction, $200 a month reduction in my pension. And, you know, I have nothing to show for it because I'm probably going to live as long as she does or, you know, whatever the case may be. I wouldn't look at it that way. It's insurance. And, and mm-hmm. actuarially speaking, it's insurance that, that has no profit built in. It yeah. is merely an actuarial calculation based on your life expectancy and your wife's life expectancy or your spouse. Yeah. And so, you know, that it, it, it's a break even for the company, yeah. right? If you live to life expectancy and your spouse lives to life expectancy, that number is, is going to be a break even for the company. So it really doesn't cost you anything it's a it's a gamble it's a risk but it's also insurance and it's valuable protection so that's a great way to look at it yeah you need to think about it that way and you know you got to go through this effort to determine whether it's necessary and whether it's a wise choice but great question of the week question all right that leads us up here to our next topic and that is how to avoid financial scams yeah this is just a good topic to kind of review because they're out there i'll talk about one in this article that recently was directed at my wife so really if you think you're impervious to financial scams think again so fraudsters are uh, ever-present threat stealing your personal information and exploiting your weakness uh, to get access to your money and account information. So this comes from U.S. News and World Report. So in 2017, cybercrime impacted the lives of more than 143 million Americans, costing about $19.4 billion. Uh, so very expensive. Fraud has cost a lot of money to a lot of people. So whether you're looking to recognize and dodge investing scams, money transfer scams, online dating, we hear all those things, um, here's what we need to know about avoiding that. So... First is, you know, what what are money scams? Money scams take all shapes uh, and forms. Typically, a fraudster will bully, cajole, or charm you into uh, forking over money or valuable personal identification, things like that. Typically, it's senior citizens, but not always. We see it a lot. Um, The scammers may pretend to be a bank representative um, in a phone call or ask for your checking account login. He or she might impersonate tax collectors. We hear that one a lot. Um, the fraudster may even take um, the guise of a charity, you know, acting like they're a charity, wanting some money. Um, so there's just lots of different ways out there. Obviously, we've all heard the Nigerian uh, prince scam for many, many years. Um, but today, you know, it's really it's changed. There's a lot of different scams out there, and we'll kind of highlight some and then talk about what to do if you are scammed. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, the Nigerian prince has been replaced by now the, with the bank representative or the mortgage broker or the investment company or the IRS, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, they always call with some somebody like that. Um, but, you know, the fraudsters still rely on the same techniques to trick customers out of money. Um, so what are some of the common scams? Well, while the financial scams run the gamut, I mean, here are some of the common frauds to know about. The first one is tax scams. I mean, there are a myriad of ways that people try to take advantage of unsuspecting taxpayers from pretending to be a representative of the IRS to filing a tax return, you know, in their place um, and trying to collect your refund um, or or someone else, you know, just, just doing it in, in, in somebody else's name. So there's a lots of ways that people will try to scam. You just be aware yeah. tax scams are prevalent. Um, you want to be on the lookout for any red flags that somebody may be trying to steal your information. Yeah, so with IRS scams, the one thing to know is the IRS is going to contact you by mail, not by phone. So the, the common scam is they call you and threaten arrest, and you need to spend, send money, wire it immediately. Big red flag that that's a scam. You, you know, the IRS is going to contact you by mail. The next is bank scams. Lots of different types. Uh, Sarah recently got a text saying, oh, you need to check on your account on Bank of America. Click this link to log in. Um, it's because something they, yeah. they said there's a bad charge. Well, obviously the first red flag is we don't have a Bank of America account, so they weren't very good. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, good that's what they're trying to do is get you to click a faulty link, put your credentials in, so they can get in there and move your money around. Um, you might have somebody calling representing the bank, um, things like that. Just be cautious. Don't give out personal information. Uh, the next is investing scams. There's a lot of different types of investing scams. Uh, you hear of pump and dump scam where stock prices, uh, you know, is falsely inflated. Scammers encourage investors to buy stocks quickly. After that, they dump the stock by selling their own holdings. And then obviously we've all heard of the Ponzi scheme. This is uh, something you should always be careful of is, you know, someone where instead of investing their clients' money, fraudsters pay current clients with the money collected from new investors and often keep uh, keep for themselves. That's like Bernie Madoff and people like that. Yeah, gosh, there's just no limit to these scams. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's credit card scams where you know credit cards might involve a uh, a caller posing as a representative from your card's fraud department. Um, speaking of fraud, you know, and then yeah. they tell you that a suspicious charge was on your account, and then the but then they ask you for the security code on the back of your card and for your you know card number and. You know, so they just try to woo you into giving out your personal information about your credit card so they, can, in fact, can steal your card information. Yeah, next, like money transfer scams, just someone trying to make you wire money. Just be careful of that. Another one I've seen uh, with numerous people is online dating scams where people pretend to be somebody, but they're asking you for money. Oh, yeah. Bogus stories. I've seen this with people that have been recently widowed. That's a very common one these days. Super common. That's right. Yeah. Real estate scams are another one where they can impersonate your mortgage broker or another business involving a home purchase, try to convince you to wire money, um, your down payment to the wrong uh, wire mm -hmm. instructions, wrong wrong account, and then they walk away with your money. So always you want to you wanna verify wire instructions by calling the published number of your bank, of the bank, and of the mortgage company. Yes. To verify wire instructions in person, no email. You got to call. This got to be a physical call. Wire instructions are very, very 
easy to scam. So you got to be careful about that. Absolutely. Uh, a couple others, email scams. Just don't click bad links or phishing scams or looking for your login information. Be very mindful of those. If the email looks suspicious, it probably is. Charity scams, people acting like they're charities, especially after like natural disasters, things like that. You got to be careful of senior scams. Um, like I talked about, a lot of times seniors can be tricked, especially with technology. Uh, but even like impersonating grandchildren over the phone, that happened to my grandfather where mm. someone was pretending to be my older wow. brother and saying he was in jail, needed money. He didn't fall for it. Good. That was years ago. Um, other things like ransomware you hear about, but let's really move into how you can protect yourself from financial scams. Um, that, there's several ways key, yeah. to do that. And the first is think before you click on a link or download an attachment. Think very carefully before you click on any link or download it, any attachment in an email or a website. Uh, even if it's from somebody you know, you want to be very mindful of that. I get emails that say they're from people and it's not them. And yeah, every day we get scam emails. Yeah. I mean, everybody gets that. So, you know, fortunately, we've all gotten a little better at recognizing those, but never click on that attachment. Always be skeptical of an email that's asking for information or asking for you to click on a link. Um, just, just don't go to that link. You got to go directly to a website, right? Yeah. Um, the main thing with that is if an email seems sketchy, think twice before you interact with it. Just be very careful. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And then slow down and breathe. I mean, scammers, they thrive on your panic and your fear. So if you get one on the phone, you know, um, you know, they're, they're social engineers, you know, I mean, their job is to talk you out of information. So if you get a call from a debt collector, you know, and they say threatening things, threatening to arrest you or whatever. I mean, take a breath, slow down, then hang up. I mean, remember, debt collectors, they aren't allowed to, to you know, threaten you or arrest yeah, you. exactly. The next is run it by someone else. Always get a second opinion. If you have any question about something, always run it by somebody else just to make sure it's legit or not. Um, typically, that helps you from making a mistake. And do your homework. Yeah, I mean, protect yourself. Protecting yourself is as simple as taking a few minutes to double check out an email address, um, you know, read an online review, um, search somebody on the Better Business Bureau or on the Internet just to make sure that's legit, that the company's legit. You know, look for the red flags, but do a little bit of homework. Next is put your number on the Do Not Call Registry. This keeps legitimate telemarketers from calling you, and so you can be more suspicious of ones that do call. And don't hand out your personal information. I mean, you got to guard that. Scammers, they aren't just out to get your cash. They want your social security number or your address, your email, other personal information. It's all valuable to them. So you just got to be very, very leery of handing out any information. If somebody calls or texts you, you know, if your credit card company calls, they should already have your information. They don't need your information. No. So they're not, they, a legit caller is not going to ask for your information because they know who you are. They're going to call you by name and they already got your account in front of them. Yeah. And so if you are scammed a few things here, don't be embarrassed about it to prevent you from doing the right stuff. So always let the authorities know. Uh, always good to have that so they can investigate. Um, and also things like ask to have your accounts put on fraud alert so they can be on the lookout just in case you they have access to your accounts. Some financial institutions can lock your accounts down, change out your cards. Uh, things like your cre um, credit score, you can ask to freeze that for the time being, uh, especially if things like your social were given out. Um, so the main thing is just telling your financial institutions you have been scammed and letting the police know, letting the authorities know so it can be investigated and hopefully exactly. get it cleaned up. Exactly. All right. Well, important topic. 
good good uh, discussion. Yeah. And that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. And so, Ryan, this is about shopping. You know, um, mm. you know, it's always shopping season, right? It's back to school now. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always some reason to go to go shop. And so we want to warn you about falling for the on sale retail trick, right? Yes. Don't fall for, you know, I mean, some items are always on sale. There's no way I mean they always have things on sale. So do your research. You know, now with iPhones and the internet, I mean, you can check prices in a, in just seconds. So go check your prices. Go compare prices on Amazon, Walmart. Don't assume that a 20 or 30% sale is a good deal or just because it says it's a discount store or it's, uh, you know, one of the outlet stores that it's going to be a good deal. That's not the case oftentimes. So do your homework. Always shop around. And uh, just recognize that some stores always are on sale. They always have sales. That's right. Have you ever seen an item on Amazon at full price? I don't think I have. No, they always <laughs> say it's a discount, right? Yeah. So it's a discount off of some made-up number. That's <laughs> so right. Don't fall for the sale trick. That's your prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Certain sun.